This is the Tribune Audio Network. This is the Backstory Podcast. I'm Larry Potash. On this show, we uncover the backstory behind some of the most intriguing tales in history, culture, science, and religion. In this episode, race continues to be something that divides and disenfranchises people all over the world. But why? This is The Backstory. Race. We think we see it, but our senses can deceive us. In 1950, the United Nations declares race a myth. Of course, that doesn't change the way many people view race. We look different. We must be different. Some people say there is no systemic racism. They believe some groups of people just have an inferior work ethic or inferior intelligence. You needed to have that rationale. These are not fully humans. These, these people are inferior. This thinking doesn't just come from ignorant slaveholders and conquerors, but perhaps what may surprise you is that this also emanates from the world's most revered thinkers, like 18th century Scottish philosopher David Hume. Hume reinforced the argument that Africans didn't really have a history, narrative of the savage native. These teachings have led to injustices towards Native Americans, African Americans, Jewish people, as well as people from Latin America, the Middle East, and more. But there's more going on here than just prejudice or pseudoscience. Oh boy, there was so many. Eldon Morris was born in Mississippi during Jim Crow. He remembers drinking from segregated drinking fountains and attending segregated schools with old books handed down from white students. As a black person, I never understood why we were treated the way we were treated. And so that always, that was something just haunted me. I, I needed to have an answer to that question. Finding that answer becomes his life's work. As a college student in the 60s, he studies the civil rights movement, a movement he can hear outside his classroom window. He's now a sociologist and teaches at Northwestern University. There's a consensus across the, the natural sciences as well as the social sciences that there's no genetic basis to race, that they're social constructed, that race in itself is not real. Think about that. It is not real. It is something we want to believe is real. We've been taught to believe that it's real. And it continues. It continues to be an explanation as to why certain people don't do as well as the other, because surely they must come from inferior race. Early scientists attempt to classify people based on skin color, eyes, hair, but we now know these characteristics are driven by environment. It's not just African Americans. Conquistadors justify their oppression of Native Americans, claiming the indigenous people are subhuman. The Spanish forced Jews to convert to Catholicism, but then banned them from positions of power, all enforced by the Spanish Inquisition 
which moves to Rome and persecutes anyone they deem odd or different. There is a great deal of ignorance that's rooted in that arrogance. Early scientists reinforce the survival of the fittest and people embrace it for their own agenda. If one group can conquer another, well, that's the natural evolution of life. You had philosophers like Hegel and Kant and others who argued that black people were inferior. It took on a new force to, to be able to justify slavery in a country claiming to be the world's greatest democracy. All this thinking is embraced by everyone from financial barons to politicians. Eventually, the Nazis. You can see where this is going. This has nothing to do with looking different. It has everything to do with different, the differences between power. Shay Akil McLean is an anthropologist. The first forms of domination that actually were central to forming what we know of as racism were religious doctrines. It specifically serves a particular kind of purpose, and that's ensuring subjugation and the justification of paying people lower wages or not paying them at all, or also different forms of just general domination and propaganda. Doing that kind of work is about creating the difference. Alden Morris's professors never lectured about African-American scientists like W.E.B. Du Bois. Morris sought to correct that injustice by writing a book on Du Bois, Scholar Denied. He predicted that the problem of the 20th century would be race. All of humanity wants to be free. And so when any part of humanity is oppressed and crushed to the bottom, that at some point they're going to rise up Chicago has been a symbol of hope for thousands of black men and women. In 1962, he moves from Mississippi to Chicago, but doesn't completely escape racism. I grew up in Morgan Park, which is only about um, 10 miles from here. And um, as a boy, we could not come over here in Beverly. We would have to fight and we would be called all kinds of nasty names. When the first black people moved in here, down the street, bricks went through their window. And then you automatically get white flight. We black people, we kid about like, wow, did they have a secret meeting on everybody and just decide to do this? You know, we didn't get the memo, right? So the question then becomes, what is it that white people are running from? Most of Morris's students are white, and he says most never meet a black person until college. And even his black students don't know their own history. But a half century after the civil rights movement, he's encouraged to see whites and blacks joining together to bring change. The younger generation of whites, they're beginning to understand there is something wrong here. What I learned in my neighborhood that I grew up in, what I learned in school, and what I'm learning at these universities is just not the truth. And so they see the inequalities. He says sociologist W.E.B. Du Bois wonders why poor whites and blacks don't fight on the same team as they share a similar economic agenda. But perhaps the myth of race is also used to discourage such an alliance. Why is it that working class and poor whites really 
operate against their own interests. Their interest, their economic interest is much more aligned with the interests of black people. So why aren't they aligning themselves with struggles by black people to bring about fundamental change in terms of erasing social inequality? Because it tells them that although my circumstances might be bad, but guess what? I'm better than and I'm superior to those black people. And that that is kind of a psychological compensation that they get for this. That's a hell of a lie to live. So what's the solution? Professor Morris says improving education, erasing the disparity between schools attended by wealthy white children and those poorest school districts attended by black and Hispanic children. Black and brown children are still educated largely in segregated schools. They are inferior to white schools in the sense of resources, what teachers are paid, uh, what kind of um, uh, equipment exists in the schools, all the way down to a swimming pool or, or music lessons and so on and so forth. So what are we teaching people? What are we As an anthropologist, Shea Akil hopes to find ways to break barriers that have impeded progress for African-Americans and he's encouraged that more non-blacks are starting to understand the history of racist policies in education, real estate, banking, and criminal justice. You should be concerned because it's still happening. As long as one of us is at risk, all of us are at risk. Because our stories are intertwined. African-American history may be a separate college course, but the story of blacks and whites together is American history both the good and the bad. Racism isn't just disliking others, it's the obstruction of progress for some that impedes the potential for all. Thanks for listening to Backstory. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute to subscribe to our podcast or leave a review. To watch our full coverage of this story and see some that didn't make it to the podcast, visit us online at WGNTV.com slash Backstory. This has been a production of the Tribune Audio Network.